the simplest version of the product that you can do, do that. We started off as a mobile soda fountain, getting the product out by the cup. Honestly, had we to do it over again, we would do that for longer than we did. That was the voice of Matt Rogers, co-founder of Pure Soda Works. Matt shared his journey with us backstage at 3686 to talk about how he and his wife, Tiffany, scaled their soda startup from a single mobile fountain to over 650 stores across the country through a distribution deal with Cracker Barrel. You're listening to Disrupt the Continuum, a podcast from Launch Tennessee dedicated to entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem builders. Launch Tennessee is a public-private partnership that supports entrepreneurs from ideation to exit. And the vision's real simple. Make Tennessee the most startup-friendly state in the nation. Tennessee is one of those few states with an entrepreneur resource infrastructure, operating at the state level, collaborating with over 30 partners in industries such as healthcare, life science, energy, logistics, music, and more. In this episode, Matt shares with us the ups and downs of growing a business and also shared his perspective on why he thinks you need to scale slowly. And we realized that what we had was an unsustainable business model. And that caused us to scale everything back, really go back to the drawing board almost with all of the knowledge uh, that we had learned and go into what we refer to now as phase two or Pure Soda Works 2.0. And that was really kicked off with getting Cracker Barrel. I mean, that's whenever that really kind of took shape. This show highlights stories of entrepreneurs like Matt Rogers and how you too can access the rich resources available throughout the state. Matt is based in Chattanooga and shares some of the lessons he's learned from Chattanooga's Entrepreneur Center, CoLab. I'm your host, Clark Buckner. We're glad to have you on this journey with us. For more stories like this, be sure to visit launchtn.org slash podcast. Let's jump in. My name is Matt Rogers. I am the co-founder and CEO of Pure Soda Works, all natural sodas out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, we manufacture uh, pure cane sugar sodas and sell them nationwide. And I've been here at the uh, 3686 conference. Uh, I was a panelist with a uh, really cool talk about executing to high volume customers, which we just did Yeah, uh, with Cracker Barrel. I'm sure we'll get into that more. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's over 600 stores. Yeah, for, I think they're up to 650 now. 650? They, yeah, they just opened their first location in California. Oh, earlier this I wonder year. how that's going to go. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it's only like, I think, New Hampshire and Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, and Oregon are the only states that don't have Cracker Barrel at this wow. point. Wow. Unbelievable. And that's, I mean, they're headquartered. It's in Tennessee, right? Yeah, Lebanon. Yeah, about 30 miles east that's from incredible. where we're sitting right here. Yeah, I've been to their headquarters. It's, it's really cool. Actually, they have the model store set up, and it's a very nondescript building. It's just like a... Yeah, I, the whole campus is, it looks really cool, but it just, you know, it does, it looks almost like a college campus. Honestly, it's all brick buildings. It's really pretty. But uh, you go into this one nondescript building and all of a sudden you're standing in a Cracker Barrel old country store. It's very disconcerting because everything, all the products are on the shelves, but there's no customers. There's no sound. It's no music or anything. <gasps> yeah, it's like... Where am like I? looking around everywhere, yeah. but that's where they map out uh, the placement of all the products so that you, when you go into any Cracker Barrel nationwide, you get 
a pretty similar experience. You know, the layout might shift a little bit. It might be mirror imaged. Um, but yeah, they, they map that all out at the corporate level and they have their own distribution. Uh, so they handle their own logistics and everything. It's all works out of Lebanon. That's incredible. So yeah. it's, what's so exciting about me and you connecting right here, right now at 3686 is we first connected about five years ago mm-hmm. at another conference mm-hmm. and I did a podcast <laughs> interview with you and we've not talked since. No, no. And I was even a panelist at that one talking about Kickstarter because we had done, uh, that's kind of how we got our first big exposure was doing a Kickstarter back in 2012 whenever nobody knew what Kickstarter was. And so we had the double challenge of not only raising money, but explaining to people what Kickstarter was and how it worked and what the platform was. And no, it's not an investment. It's basically you're backing us because you believe in us, but you don't get ownership, you get a product. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was fun at the Keen Summit talking about That's right, all back that. in the day. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so a lot has happened since we met last five years ago. So really briefly, I mean, could you catch me up really, really quick on where you're at today? I know you're speaking at the conference about distribution, right? Mm-hmm. For well, your yeah, products. Execution, execution, yeah, high volume. High volume. Yeah. So what's happening today? And then let's maybe look at some of the lessons that you've learned along the way. I know you, you've done a lot of different work with startups, different ideas. You and your wife have worked together on projects. You guys mm-hmm. have been married like, what, 13 years? Mm-hmm. So you've, you've You've been doing this a while, so I know you've got some good lessons, but really quick, tell me about the deal with Cracker Barrel, and um, but then we'll kind of rewind it back of what you learned along the way to get to this today. Sure. So um, last summer, I reached out. Uh, I had been looking for a high-volume customer, um, and Cracker Barrel was a really, it was a perfect fit because they are headquartered in Tennessee, and so they they have, they do have a you know, they want to work with Tennessee companies as much as they can. Um, but, uh, so we were able to leverage a little bit of that. And I basically just called them up and said, Hey, we have this product. Uh, when is your category review for beverages? I'd love to, you know, pitch to y'all. And i promptly didn't hear anything back. Uh, <laughs> but through follow-ups and just persistence, I was able to get a meeting. I uh, went up there in October and uh, was able to sit down with the buyer and the assistant buyer and talk to them about our soda. And interestingly, the week previous, I had uh, filmed a segment for the Pickler and Ben show, uh, which films here in Nashville as well. And uh, that was gonna be airing in like three weeks later where I talked about soda and craft soda and did a whole cooking demonstration. So I got to mark something off my bucket list, but I was able to tell them about that. Don't know if it made a difference, but I was able to tell them about it. So (laughs) anyway, uh, they sent us a a purchase order uh, a couple days before Thanksgiving and they, they wanted the soda delivered at the end of January. So with Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's in the way, and we didn't have a supply chain or anything. We didn't have a bottle. We had nothing set up for mass production, period. And so that was a mad scramble. We didn't end up getting the product to them until March, uh, which was really terrifying at first. But once we kind of talked to them and managed the expectations, found out, okay, they're totally cool with it. You know, if they want it in January, they'll still want it in March. And so we were able to get a new purchase order submitted uh, that had the appropriate date and we got the product to them and uh, we're on our third order cycle now. 
Well, congrats. Now, walk me through when you when that mad scramble begins. When you don't know what you need to know, what did you do? It was a lot of research and talking to people who did know. And how'd you find those people? Uh, well, some of them I already had. Um, our our main guy, who's been a s source of information slash shoulder to cry on, has been our bottle broker from the very beginning. And I found him through a labeling company that we that was headquartered in Chattanooga, and he ran a lot of his bottles that he processed for other customers. And so I connected with him, and he got us bulk glass back in the early days when we were just starting to bottle. And um, he has been in the industry for 40 years. Uh, so he had a ton of information kind of helping me to manage my own expectations. And he was able to connect me with a couple other bottlers uh, that we didn't end up working with, but they were able to kind of fill me in on some information. And a lot of things I already had known and learned just from developing the sodas, developing the products, and kind of knowing the direction that we would ultimately have to go in. Mm. And then, of course, just getting the information uh, from Cracker Barrel regarding their requirements. Uh, it was very, you know, spelled out in terms of the types of facilities that we could use. So finding those, because they had to be, you know, certain types of regulations, uh, corporate regulations are much stricter than government regulations with when in regards to food production, uh, because it's the corporations that carry the real liability. Uh, government regulations are just about preventing mass outbreaks of sickness. Uh, on the corporate side, they have to worry about mass outbreaks of lawsuits. <laughs> so so uh, the, the regulations on the corporate side are incredibly strict and uh, so we were able to, you know, through looking at that and talking to various people, just kind of muddle through, honestly, uh, until we found the appropriate people to work with. It, it wasn't like a, you know, there's no manual for this, and it varies from industry to industry and case to case. So today, 650 stores with Cracker Barrel, you're on your third order mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. Pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> Now, if you were to reflect back on your early days, and I'm kind of recalling when we first talked, and I listened back to some of the audio from five years ago, when you were really starting to get that momentum, the early just traction again, you, you know, Kickstarter had just gone through, and you, I think you bought your first machine from mm -hmm. that money mm -hmm. to start doing this. So in Tennessee, I think I remember you talking about getting like focusing, I think, on East Tennessee first or trying to, like, how did you work the Tennessee network, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so the the main challenge with soda is very simple. It's really heavy and it's very cheap um, on, the, on the wholesale and retail side. It's expensive to produce, don't get me wrong. But uh, so those two things combined really propose a unique challenge because you've got a, a, a product that weighs 32 pounds per case and it wholesales for 20 to 24 dollars so right off the bat i mean you don't have to be a mathematician or even an economist to figure out that you're not going to be able to ship a case to a store and then sell it and make any money nobody's going to make any money either you eat the shipping or they eat the shipping or even if you split the shipping you're going to end up selling a five dollar bottle of soda and soda is one of those unique products that just has a very hard ceiling. There's a limit on how much consumers are willing to pay for it. Um, so the, uh, the, the, the challenge has been 
finding distribution that understands the product and can effectively get it out to various customers. So, so we basically had to work with distributors. Um, we had, at one point, we had three separate distributors in Tennessee <laughs> uh, with kind of territories that butted right up in, against each other. So there was a ton of overlap. It was honestly a hot mess because, you know, there were people encroaching in other people's territories, but none of them did all the whole state. You know, one area did just southeast, one area did northeast, another one did the middle Tennessee. Uh, then we had another sub-distributor that was covering Memphis. It was just, it was, it was a mess. And uh, all that we ultimately realized was part of what we call Pure Soda Works 1.0. Uh, which was really our, just our phase one, really, is what we, how we refer to it now. And it's was that ideation, product development, and early expansion, you know, determining the product market fit, figuring out what do people want, and how, what's their, you know, how price conscious are they going to be? What, what are the, you know, supply chains that we need to be using? All of that. Uh, because what we ended up with after about six years five and a half, six years. Uh, so by 2016, what we had was this mess of a distribution network um, and a machine that wasn't working as well for our product. It was really made for beer, which is a much lower carbonation level. So if you've got something that's made for a lower, lower pressure and you're trying to put a high pressure product through it, you're gonna have issues. And those just kind of became, the, the further we got into it, the sharper contrast that came in. And we realized that what we had was an unsustainable business model. And that caused us to scale everything back, really go back to the drawing board almost with all of the knowledge uh, that we had learned and go into what we refer to now as phase two or Pure Soda Works 2.0. And that was really kicked off with getting Cracker Barrel. I mean, that's whenever that really kind of took shape because we had it was it was a huge learning process to take everything that we had learned and redevelop it into a business model that actually was sustainable and was scalable and worked long term and that's what we were able to do after kind of the early experimental phase any advice you would give to other entrepreneurs in the product space maybe they're not selling soda mm -hmm. but big lessons that you've learned that you'd want to either tell yourself if you can go back or <laughs> tell them? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it really, and it can be very difficult, but the, the simplest version of the product that you can do, do that. Um, we started off as a mobile soda fountain, getting the product out by the cup. Um, honestly, had we, do it, had we to do it over again, we would do that for longer. Than we did um, establish more of that's that. That's what you bought stream. in the Kickstarter, right? No, that was no, that before. was before Kickstarter. That's how we started at the very, very beginning. Very beginning. Yeah, yeah we would have done that longer. You're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, really establish the brand in in more people's minds. We had Chattanooga going crazy for it. Uh, we could we we could have and probably should have expanded that concept out maybe not all over tennessee but just gone gotten into more venues um going into the actual physical product of it there's there's so many different ways i mean you can outsource uh from the get-go and a lot of people do that 
uh, the problem is you're going to have a really high minimum. And especially if you've got a shelf stable product or anything with a shelf life, then you're going to have to get rid of that product. And if you don't have customers lined up, just because you have product doesn't mean that you can move it. And so that becomes an issue very quickly if you go outsourcing from the get-go. The other way is to get in a big expensive machine like we did. Um, That carries with it its own problems because in order to support a big expensive machine, you need a big expensive space and you need people which are expensive. And, you know, that's, I was describing it earlier to somebody as whenever you have all those kind of overhead type of things going, it's like the, the clock that does the, the national debt. It's just ticking and ticking and ticking and those dollars and, and cents just keep on racking up. This is what you're spending on overhead. And if you're not covering that with production, then you're literally losing money. And so it becomes this kind of equation that's you gotta try to balance and make, make work if you go heavy production. So we would have stayed longer to do, to do it over again. We would have stayed longer in the small batch craft side before we jumped into, you know, a $20,000 bottling machine where we've got to keep it rolling. Um, because that becomes a big hurdle to overcome. And if you don't have the customers and you're still figuring things out with distribution, um, it can, it can cause problems very, very quickly. So basically what I'm hearing is you can definitely scale too quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's people and, and especially in the ecosystem these days, everybody's like fail fast, fail often, figure out what your exit is, uh, you know, get out there, you know, go, 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 go. And people would do well to have a plan and know the direction they want to go in by all means establish that figure that out but don't be afraid to take it easy and to establish your actual product and your market uh before you start going after uh vc money and things like that because you know that was uh, we, I, I had got to meet and talk to some VCs last uh, fall through the uh, Fall Accelerator program for the company lab in Chattanooga. And uh, one of them... That's CoLab. Yeah, CoLab. Yeah, CoLab. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was the company lab at first, so I still call it that, even though they go, they go by CoLab now. Um, and one of the VCs that came in and talked to our group said, VC money is the most expensive money you will ever get because they're expecting a 10x return. I mean, it was even described by one of them as, you know, it's almost, you're almost to loan shark levels of interest and return that they're expecting. You know, if you, if they loan you a million dollars, if they give you a million dollars, they are expecting a 10, 50, hundred million dollar return on that. I mean, goodness gracious, the bank doesn't want that. Um, (laughs) Of course, you know, you can go to a VC person with a great idea and a great pitch and you can get them to sign a checkbook and it takes a lot more than that. Uh, to do that at the bank. And you're not going to get those million dollar numbers at the bank. So there's a lot of risk that they're taking on. And they know that, you know, if they throw, if they have $10 million and they find 10 people uh, to, to work with and they loan a million dollars out, they're only going to get maybe one that makes them the money back. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls along the way that people are like, you know, kind of the conventional wisdom now is you need to have your idea and go to the pitches and pitch these VCs and you need to go big or go home and you got to have your five-year exit. And that's just not 
always based in reality, depending on the product. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff like that happens a lot more readily with a digital product because you don't have the type of inventory and supply chain issues that you do with a physical or consumer packaged good. Um, and so it, it just, there, there's no one size fits all approach to this. And you have to really look at it as a holistic thing with your business, with your product and what your goals are. That makes sense. This has been really informative. I'm really <laughs> glad we got the chance to reconnect. I hope we can reconnect again sooner next time, not to wait for five years. Right. <laughs> but as we're wrapping up now, are there any final thoughts you'd want to share? Yeah, actually, if we, if you know, I'd like to take, take just a second to tell you about what we have coming up. It's certainly. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. So, you know, with Cracker Barrel, we kind of have that established. It's fairly stable. Uh, we're talking to some more distribution. I've got a couple other big accounts that I'm starting to talk to. We're taking it slow and steady. We don't want to make you know repeats of earlier mistakes. Uh, but one of the things we're really excited about is in the next few weeks, we're going to be opening up a specialty food store uh, where we will be selling our soda and we will be selling a variety of other products that we produce because uh, one of the details that often gets lost in the story is that once we had a commercial kitchen all the way back in 2012, um, I figured out, hey, we have all these ingredients. What else can we make? And it very rapidly became this Ingredients, kind of, very few and simple ingredients in what you're creating, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But we had, because we had so many different products, you end up, you know, even if you only have a couple ingredients and in things, um, if you're making a dozen different products, then you end up with a lot of different herbs and spices and sweeteners and all kinds of different stuff. And we realized, you know, it was kind of like the Taco Bell formula of how many different things can you make out of a tortilla and meat and cheese and lettuce? Well, it turns out a whole lot. And once we had all these different ingredients, it was like, well, what else can we do? And that has launched this whole other aspect of our business of uh, developing food products to put out there. And, uh, you know, we're doing every, all of that is in small batch artisanal uh, sizes. And the culmination of that now is in what we're calling hearth and pantry, which is uh, essentially going to be a specialty food and gift store where we will be selling our soda, but primarily selling all of our other uh, goods through, uh, That's through that store. That's a very interesting next yeah. step. Well, I'm excited and, for you. And, and the real concept there that we're really excited about, because at first it was incidental. We found the space. Uh, it had retail frontage. We thought, oh, you know, we can just sell everything while we make stuff in the back. But then we realized that there's a, there's a gap that we are particularly well-suited to fill. And that is uh, the lack of really high-quality yet affordable kitchen staples you know, like organic spices and various things like uh, there's the, the sky is just about the limit. Um, the problem is, and what I've learned through distri distributing, you know, goods like that is that you've got to start working in margins for distributors, margins for brokers. Well, there's 35% right there that you've got to tack on because distributor wants 25%, brokers want 10%. Then you've got to work in a wholesale margin as well. So that's how you end up with an organic bag of popcorn that costs you know, $8, <laughs> we'll be packing it in the back and selling it at a, a rate that's affordable for people uh, that cuts out all of those middlemen, wholesalers, distributors, and brokers. 
and allows us to put really high quality goods out for people. In addition to all of our other brands that we produce, Pure Soda Works included. So we're really super excited about it. Um, we're going to be opening it up in, uh, sometime in September, putting the finishing touches on things now. And um, it's in Chattanooga. In Chattanooga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll so, come check it out. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're super excited about it. Well, how can someone learn more about Pure Soda Works in the meantime and all the new yeah. things you're working on? Yeah, so uh, we're all over social media and, you know, go to puresodaworks.com. Um, that's kind of the, a, a great touch point for us. You know, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pure Soda Works. Uh, so pretty, pretty simple way to, to, ta- to contact us there. I love it. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed seeing you again, and I'm looking forward to the future. Awesome. I enjoyed it, too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Disrupt the Continuum. This is the place where entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem builders share their story on how they're challenging the status quo to create their own path. I hope you follow along with us at launchtn.org slash podcast. And join the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at launchtn. Launch Tennessee has received national recognition for statewide collaboration, an innovative economy, and stakeholder diversity. That's because of amazing folks like yourself who are contributing to make Tennessee the most startup-friendly state in the nation. Until next time, don't forget, be sure to subscribe at launchtn.org slash podcast, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Disrupt the Continuum.